All right, friends, how you doing? This is MFA Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, The Zim, and um, we got Brandy Madalena today on the podcast. But before we talk with Brandy, I have some announcements to make, and I only do these uh, announcements for three minutes or less on this podcast. So, and I have a few. <laughs> so hopefully, I won't start talking too fast and stumbling over my words too much. But first off, um, well, a if you don't want to listen, just skip ahead feel free three minutes or less just skip ahead until you start to hear brandy and i talk but um if you do stick around thanks a lot i appreciate you and then so first important um announcement to make we got our next uh patreon supporter we finally got another patreon supporter big news so at the beginning whenever if you decide to become a patreon supporter um at the beginning of the next podcast like if you started if you signed up today then the next time I did a podcast, I will shout you out. And I shout you out twice, the beginning of MFA Chronicles. And then I shout you out at the beginning of We're on the Street, WOTS podcast, because I have two podcasts. Those are the main ones you're supporting. You're supporting all things the Zim when you support the Patreon. So thanks a lot. And um, we got a new one today, and it's uh, Matthew Bacher. Thanks a lot for hooking it up. And from here on out, all active Patreon supporters also get shouted out at the end. So all the rest of the people that are supporting on Patreon will be shouted out at the very end, what I call credit reel. So hopefully you'll stick around for that. And because the intros are so short on this podcast that I usually have a lot to this, to add at the end as well. So let's keep on rolling. If you want to do the Patreon, it's patreon.com slash the Zim. I'll add more information at the end of the podcast. Check it out. Don't forget to vote and donate. Obviously, we're well, we're done this election cycle, but we got more coming up. Still have to do the good work. Um, we have some great, something to rejoice and be thankful for that, you know, the Democrats won Georgia. And and, uh, and, unfor and unfortunately, we have something to be upset about with, you know, um, I don't know, terrorists trying to take over our capital um, under the support of our current president. So... I don't know what to say about that other than that it really upsets me. Um, we actually talk about it a bit in this podcast, so I don't know. Vote and donate. D links are in the description of this podcast. If you need more information on good places to do both of those things, check it out. I'm also just recently got, uh, I'm a semi-finalist for an art competition in the UK from this place called King House. So I'm pretty stoked on that. So my art's out there again, and um, I'm international. So fingers crossed, maybe, I don't know, something good will happen from that. If you want to find out any more information about any of this stuff, it's mfachronicles.com. All right, we're basically at our three minutes, so let's stop, talk with Brandy Madalena. Doing. Good. How are you? Good. Welcome. Good. Crazy, but good. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. How, how's your... Uh, so I, I'm recording. I record from the get, so okay. we're, we're going. But uh, just to make sure you know, but how has been your... Um, so I wanted to ask, do you do you actually get a break during the break? Like No. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you? <laughs> yeah, I definitely am. Yeah. I, my situation is um different because right now I don't have my kids. So oh, yeah, so that that makes a big difference and I don't know. Just going through what I've gone through last year and up to like this point, I was like I need to find ways to do less, you know? And so, right. and I've been really been, I don't know if it's a good thing, but that's just where my mind's been at because I can't take being overwhelmed, you know? It's just like, so no. 
healthy. So, so what are you? What's been your break like? If you don't mind me asking. Um. Like, how was Christmas, and how was the holidays? Like, do you celebrate Christmas? Like, what? We actually don't celebrate. I mean, we do with family, um, but we celebrate Yule. We do all of the transitions of the seasons. What's that we mean? We live in Southern California, so there's not a lot of like, oh, fall is here and leaves are falling and, you know, like, so we do, um, I mean, we're, we're not religious at all, so um, we follow more things like, you know, the earth shifting. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, so we celebrate Yule, which is like, you know, old European tradition of the changing of the seasons. And um, it's actually where a lot of the what we what in the, in the states is celebrated. You know, the traditions that are celebrated as Christmas come from the old traditions. You know, like having a tree inside the house. Like that seems random for some, you know, um, um, Middle Eastern yeah. <laughs> derivative, right? Um, so, so that's definitely. So, what is it like? So, is, do you just? Align, do you just call it Yule, but still kind of like align it with the same timeline as everybody else doing gifts? Or do you do something special in your family? Like this isn't December 25th, this is whatever date. And we're gonna, with my family, I'm, we're gonna sit down and have our whatever. So we do it on winter solstice. Okay. So, which is really close, which is why Christmas is where it's at anyway, because okay. you know, that's when the big shifts were happening and the, the holiday tradition for Yule goes for two weeks. Okay. Well, it depends on what tradition, but in between a week to two weeks. So shifting it to the 25th was really an easy transition. I, this is probably totally off topic, but nonetheless, no, there is no topic. Okay. <laughs> this is the topic. Fair enough. Um, so it was easier for pagans to assimilate Christianity if the major holidays were aligned with what their major holidays already were. Yeah. And that, that happens whatever whatever um cultures are assimilated. They Christianity is navigated that um rather than having full genocide, they assimilate. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, you froze. Holy cow, that was annoying. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, no big deal. Honestly, just don't worry about it. Um, so you were mentioning, you were just kind of telling, we were talking about the uh, overlap of the pagan or like the, you know, the Christian holidays and pagan holidays. And mm -hmm. and then what, how, I don't know, we were just talking about Yule <laughs> yeah. and, and how that works for you guys. But the question I have for you, you around it is just, I mean, how... I'm sh I guess my guess is your kids are just totally cool but was there ever a conversation about like why everyone else does this thing and we're doing this thing and or do they not care or I don't know when they were really little like in the Santa Claus days yeah. we did it on the 25th okay when um both of them figured it out um we had the conversation of why we were doing it on the 25th because that was part of that myth yeah. <laughs> right and um but what our preference was and then we had a family conversation about you know this is what we would normally do outside of that myth 
how does that work with you? And like, they were very much part of that conversation and decision-making. So, so they kind of get the best of both worlds because um, it just kind of extends their holiday. <laughs> so from the, the 21st is their big holiday with us, but then that actually frees us up to be more active with our friends who are celebrating on the 24th and 25th. Yeah. So, um, so then they get to have all of those holidays, <laughs> you know, um, and then with the family, of course. And, um, and so it just kind of like drags it out for them. And they, so I think that they're, um, I think ideologically they're attuned with it. And um, I, I think, you know, just having like an extended party is pretty great too. <laughs> so Yeah, of course. Everybody likes party. I love the party. Let's party. <laughs> Lay down for a party. Let's do it. So what's up? Uh... Oh, I'm sorry. But usually we actually have a massive party every solstice and equinox okay. so we have like like 40 or 50 people here every change of the holiday well i mean except for pandemic world um uh it, that kind of slowed down since i've been in grad school yeah um just because i simply can't manage all of that but it's a lot of extra stuff it also like entails us doing like deep house cleaning and <laughs> and all of that so so that's kind of been on hold but yeah post pandemic we're back in the party yeah yeah i'll be there if you invite me yeah of course always <laughs> I, I always love i don't know if i i've probably told you before i like um i i like to uh, be a host of parties as well i don't know maybe you picked up on that yeah about, yeah i got that about me anyway <laughs> just because how we've done things but um but one of the things I loved about it when you mentioned having to clean up and stuff, that's kind of what I liked about it. Cause I used to do these like weekend breakfast cafes at my house. And so every week I was at least going to be cleaning my house thoroughly because I would have people over. So it really helped me. I don't know. That's a total tangent, but <laughs> no, no, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, there's nothing like a deadline to like kick your butt and make it happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely, I could, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, crazy bad about it but i'm definitely one of those people where it's like if there's people coming over i all of a sudden notice every single thing that's like potentially like dirt in the corner things out right. of place i'm like oh no <laughs> so, so what what was the rest of your um well we're still in it we got a week and a half left but so are you since it's your last year of grad school i guess hopefully fingers crossed right right <laughs> uh are you are you working on graduate stuff through the break as well like what is your um because of that yeah. um well we've talked about this a bit before but um i'm basically having to remake my work entirely okay um yeah. like what my intention is what my focus is everything um because all of my prior work has been about you know, bringing people physically together and now we're no longer allowed to do that. So I've kind of been just stumbling along and, and I've been doing a lot of research over the break and um, kind of looking to other, I, I don't know, I've been reading a lot of um, sociology. Um, I've been looking into like the by bystander effect and um, the, oh, tell uh, me, tell me about the bystander effect. 
Um, the bystander effect is when is was a theory that was created in the 70s um, and kind of was perpetuated in the 80s and 90s, um, where if you're in a large group of people and you're hurt or injured or need in need of help, that more likely people will pass by you. Yeah. And um, so the reason why I said that it was perpetuated during that time, it's actually been disproven that if one person shows any concern or care for the person in that group, then everyone will flock to help. And um, so I've been really looking at that and, and kind of thinking about, you know, how, gosh, what social creatures we are and how easily swayed we are yeah. um, as a species when we want to stay in our group so much that we will do the wrong thing. And I think we saw that yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so I've been really thinking about like, as an artist, like, how can I, how can I show that, generate that, allow people to experience that so that, that one, if they are the injured person in a group or the person in need in a group, how to break that sort of herd consciousness and pull the help that you need which would pull every, all the other help that you need. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then the other thing is, um, oh, oh, and the, and as far as sociology goes, um, the thing is, is to say, Hey, you with the blue sweatshirt on with the green and the headphones and that makes you go, Oh me. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're the individual that's being called out and no one likes to be called out. And so, so that's how people break the bystander effect. Um, and it doesn't always work, but about, about um, three out of 10 times it does. And so if you have to go through numbers, that's not a bad odds, right? Yeah. So, um, so I'm, I'm really thinking of how I'm going to try and manifest that in, in an art process. And I don't know how I'm going to do it at all yet. Um, so, but I'm thinking about that. I'm also thinking about um, creating installations where you can be, where you can like be physically near people, but without having um, contact. Mm -hmm. So creating like cells where people can go in. So I'm not sure yet. Well, let's, um, okay. There's a couple of things there I want to come back to. Um, sure. I want to come back to the bystander effect. There's something I want to mention about that. I definitely want to talk to you about what happened yesterday and see um, your take on it just as a separate kind of entity. I'm not sure it'll mix in. Um, but I, let's go back just a little bit to, since we're talking about your work, how do you, like, to your friends, family, people that don't know, know you when you say you're an artist or whatever, how do you um, define yourself? How do you explain it to them, what you do? Um, how do you like, what's the first thing or a couple things or depending, maybe depending who you're talking to, you might change it. So what are the like, kind of ways you talk about your, yourself as a, the reason you're an artist or the reason you're an MFA or kind of thing? Sure. Um, 
my long-standing, like my family and like long-standing friends um, have seen me go through from being like a drafts person, a drawer, um, to where I am today, though they don't understand what I'm doing at all today. Yeah. So they have this anchor of like traditional methods that I've gone through and they can, they kind of just hang on to the idea that I'm a sculptor and that I do weird things <laughs> that they don't really understand. And that's okay. And I, where, whatever level they're at to be able to grapple with the idea that I'm an artist, that's cool. <laughs> like, I don't need to have, I mean, half the artists I know don't understand what I do, which uh, it's not like, oh, they're incapable. It's just, you know, there's a context to it and that's really tricky. And I do a variety of things. So I'm not going to just say, oh, I'm just a social practice artist or I'm just, you know, a participatory artist or, you know, or even installation artist, which I've done a ton of. Um, so I try not to harness myself in as much, though I've talked about and maybe even done for the last like 15 years um, more participation participatory or social practice work so but i also just love making things so <laughs> you know yeah. um i certainly don't want to limit that because it it often entails not making things when you put those labels down so great yeah i just i don't know i was wondering if you've felt at all like I don't know that li limited, not limited, I guess, isn't the right word, but if people are expecting a certain type of work or thing from you, do you feel limited by expectations sometimes? No, no. I mean, I guess if I'm trying to write a proposal, if my writing is not clear enough where that limits it, that annoys me because that's my own failings you know yeah. to communicate properly um but everyone comes with their own expectations and i'm not it's not i don't know i don't take that personally because that's just there's where they're at and and i feel like if if we're you know if my work is about empathy i have to make sure that i'm being empathetic to the folks that are um, that I'm hoping to engage with my work. Yeah. So no, I don't. We'll I don't come. I want to come. Sorry, I want to come back to your, you know, specifically your work. When we talk, there's a section of this podcast we'll talk about the MFA process. Uh -huh. um, I want to come back to there, but I want to jump back to what some of the things we brought up already. Um, first off, was thinking about you're like thinking about how to incorporate this. Um, you know, bystander effect into your work a little bit and stuff. One of the things I've noticed on with the social, with like the internet, right? There's a lot of people just doing like social experiments that are inadvertently like art pieces sometimes. Um, and like things that I've seen just addressing what you said about like, I've seen these ones where people have like dressed up as like a homeless person or something and act yeah. and fallen over or acted like they were hurt and nobody cared, but then dressed up like, in a business suit and the same thing happens and like people are like oh can i help you you know it's like kind of those kind of interactions have happened right and even if they're not dressed in a business suit um and not looking particularly homeless it 
Um, but if they don't look like they're part of their um, societal role, then they'll bypass them. But if they're one of their own, then they'll engage. Yeah, I know. I've seen that too. And it's, um, it's something that as human beings, we need to become conscious of. And, and that's what I'm hoping for is, um, I don't know. I'm just kind of looking for anything that, that I can do with my skill set that can help people be better humans and, and like bring out the best of humanity rather than the worst of humanity. There's plenty of that going on. We don't need more of that. Yeah. We need to remember who the hell we are, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and that's, um, and it's hard because our social, our social networks that we have in our heads, you know, like on an anthropological sort of level can manage about 150 people and we're de dealing with millions, you know, so it, it just doesn't, we have to disengage at some point. And so creating those bridges, I think is super important for me anyway. Have you noticed or do you, so that statement you made of like the best of humanity versus the worst of humanity, have you noticed any um, correlation with making art and what what gets more response? Like, I'm sure you've, maybe you've heard me say this before, but I feel like art world sometimes doesn't like to kind of sit on the positive that much. It likes to kind of dwell in the negative. Totally. And so, well, yeah, yeah, to totally. And it's um, it's tricky. It's really tricky um, finding something that is engaging and is not hallmarky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that very razor thin edge. And, and when you hit hallmark, everyone is already so saturated with saccharine bullshit. That's not legitimate in sincerity. Nobody cares about that anymore. Everyone is disgusted with it. Everyone is like too here with it. And, but to get to the point where you can have, sincere engagement on a positive level that still stimulates you that still like challenges you and and i think i think that when you get just a little past the saccharine it scares people that they have to engage and and that's where the challenge is and i'm, I'm hoping that that's the edge that i can ride yeah you know where it's like no, it's actually like engaging with people like openly and, and forthcomingly maybe is one of the scariest things we can do. Yeah. Like we can be angry at people and, and be aggressive and that's kind of not nearly as scary for a lot of people. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I, I can relate. Uh, that's the, 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 the line that I'm trying to ride as well. Cause I, I don't know. So maybe we can uh, discover it together as we go, <laughs> because it's like, I just don't want to be the kind of artist that just points out all the negative stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and then, and then just leaves it hang there. I want to like, try to like, talk about, Actually. yeah, talk about the positive, talk about the solutions to the problems, not just the problems themselves, potentially, sure. but without getting 
passed off as cliche or passed off as something else that's or just not taken seriously because it's I don't know it's interesting yeah Yeah, I mean well you think of the art stars they're they're doing edgy things that are not necessarily that are they're they're bordering on some ethical issues you know I'm thinking of like um oh and and I'm terrible with names I'm so sorry um (laughs) I'm terrible too in the in the early 2000s you know like the big the big um exhibition that was at ars ars electronica um i think it was in 2000 or 1999 was where the two artists that commissioned to have the bunny genetically modified so it would glow Mm. you know from birth yeah and um you know, and, and as an art piece. And so it brings up all of these like, yeah, yeah. like heavy ethical things. And I don't know that we need to bring up those kind of ethical things. There's plenty of that going around. To me, that's kind of boring. I mean, people are doing heinous things all the time. Yeah. It's boring, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like I think the, the, powerful and challenging things are how can we be good yeah and and in a capitalistic society how can we be good how can we be good to each other and and have that be acknowledged as a um subversive thing in our society yeah no i think about that all the time i mean i wish you know one of the things that one of the ways i phrased it was like how do we make how much you like simply how much how do you make how much you give cool rather than how much you get like status mm-hmm. is so important in our society and things like that and it's like people just oh, they always they want the fastest car the prettiest thing or the fanciest or the most expensive whatever and it's like well what if it was what if your value was based on how much you actually gave versus mm-hmm. how, you know it's like wouldn't that be something <laughs> right if it was a true meritocracy like like what folks believe our society to be, which it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, if we truly had a meritocracy, then the folks that would be giving of themselves would have the highest status. And that is not the case. That is not the case at all. It's people who are born into having the most get more and they have the highest status. That's, and it's not just the folks that are born into it. There's lots of folks that, um, work things very smart and and learn how to gain access to financial gains in other ways so so i'm not saying it's only done like that but when the when the gathering (laughs) when the gathering of of income and and of objects becomes a higher priority which it already has um then making sure people are taken care of and safe and healthy everything is on its head like that's not what our species is for our species is to work as teams together like that's that's how we have survived and by tearing that apart we're tearing apart our survival skills yeah i i think this uh relates for me this relates directly to what happened yesterday but i wanted to um use that use this as a chance to 
kind of open the spectrum or open the window or whatever a little wider and just use so yesterday our capital was um under siege by i don't know who hooligans that support trump i don't know how to describe them um faction yeah and but then if you look at for me I'll, i'll just say if you look at from basically the beginning of the pandemic We've had pandemic stuff that we're dealing with. We've had social justice stuff we're dealing, we've been dealing with. And then, you know, this, we just haven't, there's just, it seems like we're in this endless cycle of kind of big, kind of societal trauma that we're dealing with. So I just wanted to see if any of those things in particular, um, I want to just ask how you've been doing with it. Like what happened for you? Yes. Did you have any, was, was yesterday's events, like oh, just more of the more of what's been going on, or was there anything separate for the yesterday's events, or was there any event like that's happened over the last year that's really stood out to you, like made a like ch- changed maybe the way you made art or the way you have thought about things or the co- a conversation you had with your kids, like like has anything stood out over the last year? Yesterday, my kids said I would really like this. You, oh, you're living through a h- historical moment thing to stop. They're yeah. like, we don't want to live through any more historical moments unless it's positive. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, all of it's been traumatizing. All of it is a culmination of what we've been sowing, though. You know, and... while I never ever hope for horrible things to happen to instigate change, that tends to be what instigates change. Um, Horrible things happen in the world and how we respond to them is what defines us. That's what I've been trying to remind myself. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I've been trying to help my kids ingest so that, you know, this isn't going to be the last of the things that they experience, but how we guide our communities, how we respond internally, all of that. Like we can have those big feelings. We should have those big feelings, but then what do we do with them? How do we respond? And um, it's been kind of nonstop that. Right. And um, how do you feel like you've been able to respond? Like, I'll just say for myself, you know, I feel like I, I try, you know, I, I, I want to be an empathetic person. I, I want to do, quote unquote, the right thing. Right. Um, but and at the same time, it's like I am so confused whether or not I am doing the right thing. Like I'll use the pandemic as an example, like my decisions on how like we've decided to be really locked down here and just be that way about it. And sometimes I see friends and family not being that way. So I get really self-conscious about it. I'm like, am I doing the right thing? Like, I don't know. So have you had any moments because there's been so many things like any moments like that for you, like actually redefining like that? Yeah. Constantly. (laughs) Yeah. Constantly. Um, to give an example, um, my husband's an avid surfer, avid, yeah. like has been since he was 10, sort of like we moved back to San Diego because he couldn't be away from the surf anymore. 
um, he's a teacher. And so, and he's doing distance teaching and um, his favorite beach break is in this little tiny, like I think there's 20 people community in Mexico. Mm. And he can teach from there. He'll never have this opportunity to, again, he just turned 50. You know, he's not going to be able to surf forever. He'll never have this opportunity again to, because he's a teacher to catch the winter break. And so we collectively decided he should rent a little place there and come back and forth. And so he's down there now for two weeks right now. And we zoom all the time, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's caused kind of big chunky bits like, okay, well, how are you going to be safe? Yeah. yeah. You know, and how are you not going to bring things to them? And how are you not going to bring things to us? And that's really hard. That's really hard. And um, I mean, my mom is, thinks that she's being really safe, but then she exposes herself to all these people that aren't being safe. And I'm just like, you're one of the reasons why we're being so safe. You should be more safe. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know she's like in her mid seventies, actually today's her birthday. And oh, happy um, birthday, mom. Happy birthday, mom. <laughs> um, and it's like, I'd like her to keep having some birthdays, you know? <laughs> so no, I... it, it really lets a lot of tug into and my kids are like, so like, oh my gosh, we have to make sure that we're safe. And like, like I'm really extreme, but they're even more extreme. Wow. So, That's cool. Um, it is cool. And so they have, they have two friends each that they hang out with masked. Yeah. And, um, and that's it. Everything else is online and. Um, and even then they take two weeks in between seeing each other just to be sure. Yeah. So I don't know. The whole thing is crazy. And, and everything makes you double think everything. It's like, you know, there were, there was a guy at the gas station like an hour ago that made fun of me because I was wearing a mask while I was getting gas. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. you know, I, I, I wish him luck. Yeah. <laughs> you no. know, I, that's it. Yeah. So hard. Cause I'm, I, that's a good example for me of like, I'm a mask is on my face if I'm not in my house, period. And there's times where I'll pull it down on my chin and stuff, but at least it's like right there, ready, right. To, ready to go. And like I go on walks through my neighborhood and I'll my mask is on the full time, you know, even yeah. though I'm the only one and I'm just and I just feel that's what I feel. I mean, there's a couple of things, honestly, there's I feel safer that way. I feel like I'm very much on the I'm thinking about you over there that's why yeah. i'm more than i'm thinking about myself so i want to let you know that you can feel safe walking past me right and so that's the thing where so that's an important thing for me and then i also have the thing of like i want to i honestly want to be an example i want to be like this is what you should be doing too honestly right. you know it's like that's what i that's where i stand on it a little bit but yeah no i i agree i mean 
Yeah, yeah, like with your mom too. Your mom too. I um, I have a similar situation there. It's like, I feel like if my mom wasn't living with me, she probably would be more like casual about things. And I'm like, ah, that's you're like this is the whole reason. But no, I feel that. I feel that totally. Um, let's talk a little bit. Let's jump into. Well, we can come back. Like anything that you think of, um, with what happened yesterday, with happened throughout the last year that you want to talk about that you might think about um feel uh, free just just a quick yeah. thing about yesterday okay yeah yeah ha <laughs> 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 um i expected that yeah i i don't know how everyone didn't expect that He's been calling for it for over a year. He, he's been like fueling that fire for three years. He said from the beginning that he wasn't going to go if he got voted out. Yeah. I and mean, he said it from the beginning. So <clears throat> why is this unexpected? I, just because it hasn't happened before, lots of things that he's done hasn't happened before. Why was there not? Why did people stand by and watch them break in? Like, yeah, <laughs> like all of that. I'm not the smartest person in the world. I am not a tactical thinker, and that seems like a no freaking brainer. <laughs> like, that, like that just is crazy making to me. Well, yeah, I if I might say a few things too, um, I am like beyond, like, I don't know, not beyond angry, but I'm very angry about this whole situation just because of like, it's such, such the, for me, one of the things that's so glaring and so frustrating and make me so mad is the obvious disparity of the kind of white privilege, like the, you know, what was going on, the, this, the rhetoric around black lives matter and th and that kind of social justice was, what we all know, like calling them thugs and calling them like rioters and stuff. And then like, but then there's this situation where it was like, you see all the memes that have come out. It's like people were like, police officers were like taking selfies with these insurrectionists. It's like, or like whatever. I mean, it was like one or two yeah. cases, but still it's enough. And like help, I don't know. It's just the disparity is so wide. And I'm like, oh my God, this is why I hate this country sometimes, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, and my, my, well, now 13 year old, his birthday was two days ago, um, said, I'm moving to Canada when I can. Yeah. He's like, I'm moving to Toronto. No, he said Vancouver. It wasn't Toronto. He's like, I'm moving to Vancouver. We know people there and it's nice there. And people are nice there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. But that, because there's no faith anymore. I mean, how can there be faith after? You know, babies get put in in like yeah. in cages. Like I, I know, right? I mean, so much of like you ask, like how how all of this is manifesting. This is manifesting in a lot of me deep breathing. <laughs> you know, like just okay, do what you can, and try not to worry about things you can't. But I wake up in the middle of the night worrying. You know, I worry for my kids. I worry for their future. I worry for our country. 
I shouldn't have to feel like someone raising the American flag is a sign of fascism. Mm -hmm. That that should not be my thought. But that's the the symbols are being usurped, you know. And and when you have when you switch out when you switch out symbols and signs, mm-hmm. it changes. It changes how people relate to the thing. And anyway, yeah, lots of frustration. <laughs> yeah, this is um, you know, it's like I'm I hate it, but I'm also like because I'm in graduate school, like this is like, well, let me just use all this and you put it into my art. And I'm, I'm kind of right. th- thankful that there's co- like something for me to like really like investigate and and do right. in a way, because I mean, I, I've totally changed as a person in a lot of ways because of this last year we've been going through, you know, how I'm way more aware of what's going on politically. I'm just, kind of trying to find my voice and trying to find my language for how to talk about it and what what's been going on so yeah so it's been it's frustrating but i'm also like all right let's use this let's go you know it's kind of where i'm at um so if anything else comes up as we talk feel free to drop it in whenever you feel like there's no rules to how we do this but um i do want to i want to switch over a little bit to the the mfa portion of the conversation and just see where where you are with that kind of idea um it's some basic ones to start off is um why so basically why graduate school like and why san diego state university and why mfa like those are like kind of three questions that can kind of mix together so when we when you uh like what was the first conversation you had with yourself with like i want to go and get my mfa why what were you telling yourself um i this was a while ago so in 2013 i had decided that i wanted to go back to school um i had just come out of doing leading a huge two huge projects in 2012 um, one was a, a Burning Man project where it was, you know, a giant budget, and um, I was co-leading the project. So it's like being in charge of like seventy people, and um, but I, I was also the art lead, so like navigating how the aesthetics of the thing looked, and um, so we co- collectively made this huge huge piece this was the second one i had worked on but was the first one i was fully in charge of um so there was that and at the same time i was working on a project where um i i was awarded a creative catalyst fund fellowship um and i was partnered with young audiences and i worked with over 300 um elementary, middle, and high school students um, and did this huge community-based social practice project with a resulting installation. Um, I fully understand momentum and how momentum affects me. Breaks are my worst enemy. (laughs) Like breaks are horrible for me. I don't take breaks, I fall over. Mm -hmm. And that's not the healthiest way to manage myself, but I know that 
like this break that I've had in trying to like figure out what the hell I'm supposed to be doing, it's hard for me to get started again because I get pulled into other things. Um, so I was trying to ride off of that momentum. Um, but I ended up teaching instead. And um, so I just continued teaching and my kids, I felt like I needed to give my kids more concentrated time. And so I started teaching at their kid, their school. And yeah, I saw the school starting to kind of disintegrate. And I thought, this is a good time to start again. <laughs> so I, I applied um, to state mostly because it's up the hill from where I live. Um, but also because of Richard Keeley, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, on the, on the big community project that I got the fellowship for, I actually met him and asked him to help set me up with, um, some interns to help me because I don't, I didn't have any major woodworking experience and there were, uh, 50 cabinets that were made and I didn't and I was making them all and I didn't know how to do any of that so um, I asked if he could help me find some interns and so he let me do a presentation in his class and I ended up with three amazing interns they were wonderful and taught me so much like I know all about cabinet not all about I know a good chunk about cabinet making now because of them um, and so I was super grateful for that and yeah, I just appreciated him. Honestly, that's like SDSU, considering my background is probably not where I probably would have picked. Um, Whatever you're doing with your hands, it's coming over on the mic. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, anyway, um, uh, it just seemed like it fell in line. It fell in line. So um, I knew that coming to SDSU was going to be, um, was going to push me in directions that I hadn't been pushed before because none of my programs have been, had been aesthetically driven. They were all um, conceptually driven. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've really tried to just, embrace that as much as possible, as much as my stubborn brain would let me do that. <laughs> so, um, and I think I have to some extent, but now I'm currently grappling with how do I manifest those aesthetic, that new aesthetic knowledge um, with my conceptual background and how do I make peace with that and have both benefit each other. I, my next question is what, so it's a, I guess, two-parter in a way, but what was the best part of the school? Like, what is something that you really, really loved about the school? And then what is something that happened that you, like, didn't expect necessarily? Like, that you met somebody that you changed your outlook on something or, I don't know, whatever it may be, like, something that you came across that you didn't expect to happen through and it maybe it's not even directly related to school but since you've been in school for the three years it's like so. sure um i'm gonna address that part first yeah um the thing that i didn't expect is to understand i don't know there was a debate that was happening in a class and 
it was it was about distinguishing the the craft work versus fine art work and i have always just thought like why do we need distinctions why not just call it all art and then that way there's not a hierarchy because to me hierarchies are what makes things bullshit <laughs> you know um hierarchies create um i'm above you and you're below me and i don't like it i don't it's not interesting to me at all and so i've always just thought let's just call it all art and it however you distinguish yourself because everything's all interdisciplinary now anyway so who cares um what's what's the problem with that and um jen hansen um who's very very tied to the the identification of being a craftsperson um explained it to me that why should people take away their identity and it it fully like the way she explained it it fully made me relate it to um cultural competence <laughs> you know and so um she's like i want to identify as being a crafts person that gives me my culture i mean i don't think she said it directly like that but that's how i integrated it into my thinking and i realized that i was trying to name her i was trying to name her work and who what right do i have <laughs> to do that and that blew my mind i thought i understood that and um and it was a big shift for me like like i thought i was being very um like unifying in in my concept of that and my philosophy of that and um and then to realize that in her mind's eye i was being oppressive and it's like whoa <laughs> you know so um that was a, that was really enlightening and and I, you know i i left that day like kind of like oh what's going on in my head and i came back and i thanked her you know in class the next class we had together i'm like hey listen this totally shifted my my way of thinking and i really appreciate that you took the time with me so so that was a big one and you're going to have to repeat the first question i'm so sorry <laughs> no that's fine yeah it's it's the more easy one i think in a way it's just and it could be the same thing but um what was this the best part like what was your favorite yeah. thing about being in school or like i don't know just like this highlight moment or whatever it might be or maybe it's subtle but or whatever just like your thing you cherish or something um, I think the the big thing was um, the the big positive that came out of it is knowing that I don't have to take one route. Um, that I can do social practice work, and I can do my own personal object making, and have both of those practices be flourishing. Um, I also, this was like a positive and a negative, um, but I think the long run came out positive. I, I really had to like kind of stand up for myself and, and the work that I was doing. 
um, because it was challenged regularly. Like my whole first year, I felt so, in a lot of ways, really disenfranchised. Um, but I realized, you know, I realized that it was all coming from a good place and that it was like, I could take it as, as being attacked or I could take it as that, like, for me to grapple with that and how am I going to process that? And just because somebody feels one way, but I have all this other evidence that tells me something else, I can respect both and land in the middle and be happy and healthy and, and, and find balance within my own process of being able to do work that engages the world and work that engages myself. Um, but that's been a hard process and I'm still struggling with it, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I feel that too. Definitely. Like there was a recent critique I had that kind of was kind of cut pretty hard. And I was just kind of like, what's going on? And, um, I, uh, what I took away from it was just letting it be they're trying to challenge me, you mm -hmm. know, and not mean that they think I suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't. I, I feel like critiques are so harsh, you know, because you're putting yourself out there, you're putting your work out there. And just because something gets brought up for somebody doesn't mean that they don't like what you're doing. It just means something got brought up for somebody, you know? And, um, I mean, I had a critique, I think at the beginning of my second year where a professor said, that feels really contrived. And for me, contrived is like, <laughs> I can feel that the I... worst <laughs> of the fucking worst. And, and, I mean, like I, I did a whole body of work about simulacra and the failings of simulacra, <laughs> you know, like, like everything like artificial and false is like the antithesis of what I want to be as a human being and as an artist. And so to, for somebody to call my work contrived, they were spot on. They were spot on. Like, I am not like disagreeing with what they said at all. But to that particular word, it was like one of those triggers and it just hurt. Like, like it took like a year for me to get up and over it. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I feel that I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I had a similar not. I mean, I guess similar situation recently where somebody says that I can get defensive, which is something that like. I get really angry that people that get defensive. So I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, I don't like how do, oh no, I'm doing the thing that I hate, you know? Like, it's like, how can I, I'm trying. So, and critiques is kind of where it kind of, it's weird. It's like, sometimes it's like a, it's like a muscle like reaction that you're just like, oh shoot, I did the thing I didn't want to do and it just happened. And I'm like, ah, but no, I get it. Yeah. I know that because of the vicious critique um process that was a that was my whole undergrad i feel like i don't have a degree in art i feel like 
have a good degree in critique. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was vicious. It was like so cutthroat. People would regularly run out crying. Like, like people wouldn't come back to class for weeks because after a vicious critique, I mean, we didn't call them critiques. We called them wolf packs. There you it go. <laughs> vicious. But because so I came from that. Yeah. And I never wanted to be mean, but I did want to like dig deep because I felt like the digging deep was really, really important. And I felt, I feel like some of that digging deep is missing at mm. state in states critiques. There's so much nice talk around the crits that it just makes my heart sad. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> you know? Um, okay. But the digging deep is important and asking the big questions is important, right? Because who else is going to ask besides us? And, but those big questions hurt. And, and we're working in very short time periods with small budgets and we don't have the, like, we can't yeah. fully realize a lot of times the, the projects that we have in our heads. And so then we have to show these things that we're like, oh, they're, um, they're like my mini version of the thing, <laughs> you know, with my mini amount of time given to it. And how have you been able? So that's a very good, that's something that actually the last critique I had came up for me was that idea of like, what, how much energy, time and money are you supposed to spend on the thing that you're going to get, you know, you're making right now because of just uh, kind of endless constraints that are you're dealing with especially i mean especially in covid situation you know doing this i mean another th layer that i mean there would be something else if it wasn't this but it's like have you how do you how have you personally processed that kind of thought like do you i don't know do you let it be because what i think okay what i think is the school wants us to try to make the best work possible and just figure it out and spend the money or do the thing. And they're going to critique us on that. They're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to say, let me, they're not going to filter going like, okay, he's doing this in a, he's got limited resources in pandemic or whatever, you know, he's got, they're not, they're just going looking at it and going like, they want the best art and they're going to critique it as if you had unlimited resources. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how, that's what I think. At least that's where I'm at right now. So mm -hmm. has, how have you like come through, you've been doing this now three years in and more even with your undergrad, but like three years at, at state, um, knowing these certain limitations and then you're, you're working on work. Like where do you draw the line? Do you draw the line or how do you decide what decisions to make based on some of the external situations? Um, is that too big? <laughs> well, it's not too big, but I want to think about it for a second. Um, I don't do a whole lot else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I look at what people's drinking money is. I look at what people's like travel money is. I look at, I, I, I justify the amount of money I spend on my art materials based on what I think an average person spends on themselves to do fun things. 
<laughs> and then I don't do those fun things. And instead I make art. And so, um, so you've decided, so what I'm hearing is you've decided to put more toward it. Like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, um, I've been accustomed for the last many years doing really large projects where there's, you know, like $10,000 plus budget. And so to spend $300 on a project, it's like, that's what needs to be spent. Yeah. And, and that, that may seem exorbitant. And, and honestly, it seems exorbitant, exorbitant to me too, because I'm making things that aren't socially engaged. And if I'm going to be spending money, I want to be able to like share that with the community. And so, so that's, that's one of my like grappling points right? Yeah. It's, um, it's like, if we're going to expend resources, it should benefit the world. Mm -hmm. It should benefit me too. You know, I'm part of the world and I'm, I need to have like sustaining, um, um, I, I need to refill myself. And, and so that's, that's definitely a thing that I'm actually trying to learn how to do better. Um, I, I I don't go crazy, but if I spend up to three hundred dollars on a project, mm -hmm. I usually don't spend that much. But if I did, I'd be like, mm, "That's how much it costs." Yeah. You know, I think about how much people spend on canvases, and you know, even if they stretch their own and um, paints, you know, one tube of paints twenty five bucks. <laughs> you know, so if I if I spend a hundred and fifty dollars on glass for as a major component of a sculpture, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I think what you're talking about right now is something that I'm dealing with too, and I think it's slightly different though. Of like, I'm having I'm having a hard time with um, making art for a critique, whereas yeah. like, and then it's just like I don't. I need to make it for a show. You know, I need to make it for, like you're saying, for get out into the people, whether it be for you, maybe more social practice or, or interaction with people. Like for me, maybe it's more like interaction in it still, but like it's hanging somewhere, it's shown somewhere. It's like, I'm having, I'm starting to come up to this thing. Like this is, it seems kind of pointless just to make it for my class. It's like, I don't want to just make, make this, it interesting for my class. Yeah, I, I want to make it for, show it out and, and then I, I'm already starting to collect a pile of stuff. I'm like, I don't want just stuff sitting around my studio. Yeah. I want, so like, I, I think I, I understand on a, on a level with what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, somebody said, Oh, said something about a project I was working on in the last month or so. And they're like, Oh, is that for school? And I'm like, none of the stuff I do for school is for school. Yeah. I don't make anything for school. Yeah. Um, like I make work to make work and if I get a degree with it, awesome. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's, um, yeah, I haven't, I've, I'm on a different journey through that conversation, but, but yeah, I understand completely, completely. Um, how are you doing with time just to check in with this podcast? Like, sure. Can we have another 15 minutes? Yeah, that's fine. Um, I need to head out at two forty-five. So okay, yeah, great. I'll just, so let's. I basically have, I think, 
two more main questions in a three more i think three three main three more main questions let's see how it goes but um let's jump in so that we kind of you maybe flirted with this idea just a second ago with you know when we we're talking about critiques and you're like i don't this critiques at state are sometimes a little bit too nice um i was i wanted to say what is the most challenging part for you been with being a an MFA student being in school, whether it be something about the school itself or something external, having, you know, your mom and your, you've already explained some stuff with your family and how there's been challenges there and it's all kind of intermixed together. So I don't know, this is where I'd like to look at it as a, an advice part of it. Like somebody maybe finds this podcast that's thinking about going to, back to school for their MFA and it's like, what would you tell them to look out for, be prepared for, do you like, what's your number one, two, three things that you're like, you know, think about this, you know? Um, I think the biggest challenge that I had is maybe not something that's going to be common unless it's somebody that's going to back to school after many years, um, was the identity issue. Hmm. Like I have been somebody that's been in charge of stuff since my 20s <laughs> you know since before my bfa and to go back and i've been a teacher <laughs> for the last 15 years so to go back into the role of a student and and the student that didn't necessarily um like like i felt like i was very much welcomed into the community but it was at a distance mm -hmm. you know it was um like sage and i will be friends forever but she views me as a mom <laughs> <You know? laughs> like she's a sweetie <laughs> and and that's cool that's totally fine and it makes sense totally makes sense um i'm as old as her mother yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. totally right there um But so, so that personal identity um, and, and almost, I'm not going to say that there was a shame to it, but there was a constant level of having to explain, no, I'm actually not a professor here. I'm a student. And then, then there's like, oh, <laughs> you know, there's like that, like people not being able to flow with the idea that, that people do different things at different times of life. And mm. I've never done things prescripted. I've just not. Um, that's been a really big challenge for me. And and it's, I think it's humbled me and um, made me recalibrate how, how I view people in power and how I view myself as a person in power. Um, I know that one of my personal goals when I'm in charge of stuff is trying to make people feel welcome and like included and pull them in. And, um, you know, and I'm sure I have varying degrees of success with that <laughs> or failure, um, just being human and stuff. But I, I think that that's been, that's been something. That's been a big something to the point where I'm still, you know, and I have just, I have what, five months, mm -hmm. less than five months at this point to be completed with my program and I'm still grappling with it. 
Yeah, that makes yeah. that makes all sense. Yeah, I, I have a similar similar. I mean, similar situation. I came back to school much you know later, and I don't. It's, I wouldn't have labeled it as identity <clears throat> so much, but I do recognize that having like at least ten years on a lot of the other students, there is something. You start to you go like, yeah, that's that's what this ten years difference is. Like, why you think that way versus this? It's like you will think you will potentially think different once you're yeah a little older or you change or something you have a little more experiences or something like that and sometimes i forget that i'd like i go from forgetting that i'm a at a different age and then i'm and then i'm like oh yeah wait a second that's why that's why this is not making sense <laughs> kind of thing yeah um other than that just and i i feel like anytime you go into a major institution you have these expectations of um, levels of organization. And then it's then you come to the terms where, oh yeah, human beings run this and it's not gonna be perfect, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> and to varying degrees, whatever organization you've come to. Um, I went to, I went, I was working at Headland Center for the Arts uh, up in Sausalito years, many years ago. And it was a well-oiled machine. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. It was one of the most um, egalitarian organizations I've ever worked for. And it still had bugs. You know, it, it still had like social bugs and it still had like functional bugs. But it was the best I've ever seen. And they were remarkable. Um, and and I've seen everything in between. And so when you come to a school where you have these expectations that things are going to run a certain way and that you're going to be supported in, in ways because you're paying for that. Um, and then that doesn't happen in the way that you expected. That's a little um, jarring at first, but it's like, oh yeah, human beings run this and maybe some human beings that had other stuff going on in their lives that this didn't maintain as their priority. Maybe yep. people burn out and whatever, whatever their trip was, you know? Um, but to come into the school with the understanding that it's your education and you have to make it what you want it to be. And you have to push the people whose job it is to do the thing that you expected to have done. It's your job to make that happen, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, but in this case it was, is currently. And, um, and things have been flow in organizations. So just knowing that it's not going to be handed to you not going to be handed to you on a silver platter. You have to just like in the rest of your life, you have to make the things that you want happen. Yep. Yeah. Great. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, two more questions maybe. And one of them is just, this is kind of like a overarching question about art in a way, like where in your um, kind of path as a person, where have you learned the most about art? Um, and how has it influenced your practice? Like who or what, or where, where, where can you, can you pinpoint a spot in your life that you feel like that, that moment's really influenced my practice more than anywhere else? Um, yes. 
<laughs> Definitely. Um, so instead of going to college straight out of high school, which was a long, compli complicated thing that I won't go into, but um, I decided that I was going to get my education somehow, some way. And so I decided to work at um, the best art supply store in San Diego. And at the time it was the fine arts store. It was amazing. It was so cool. And my goal was that I was going to learn everything about art materials and meet every artist that came in that I possibly could and basically grill them nicely, but kill them with kindness until they told me all their secrets. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Eventually, I, I moved. I, I had started in the one in Kearney Mesa, and uh, which was the main headquarters. And I moved to the one downtown, which was um, in the Ratner Building uh, at Thirteenth and G. And at the time, the bottom floor—it's where the um, New School of Architecture is now. The bottom, um, with all the big glass windows, that's where the Fine Arts Store was. The entire building was an art hive. It was nothing but art studios, graphic designers. It was amazing. <laughs> there were a couple nonprofits mixed in there, but it was all active working artists. There were like once a month, there were huge art parties where everyone would open their studios and it was freaking amazing. Maybe it wasn't once a month. I'm remembering that. Maybe I was just really happy about it. So <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, but I was 19 at the time, maybe 20. No, I think it was 19. And there was this one artist that kept coming down. He had this uh, incredible studio. Sometimes I'd make deliveries when they were like in the throes of, of their making. Um, and his name was Dennis. And he was remarkable. He was like the kindest person and super energetic and super like all over the place and did these huge kind of, kind of Matisse-esque um, interiors, uh, very expressionistic, but um, yeah, very much like a contemporary Matisse. Anyway, so he came in and I was like deep in, in drawing at the time and he caught me off guard like I just was in the zone and and he like looked at what I was doing and he's like that's really amazing super like photorealistic and way too fucking tight <laughs> and, and I was like so offended because I just adored him and I mean not really but just like shocked and he's like tell you what I'm gonna give you lessons I'm like really? I'm like, I don't have any money. I work at an art supply store. He's like, no, 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 you just come up. And so after my shift for three or four times, I'd go up, he'd make me do full stretches. He pulled out this huge, like butcher paper. I'm, I, I think might've been canvas. I don't remember. And he gave me a gallon bucket and a huge brush, like a four or five inch brush. And he's like, you're not allowed to do anything little and he had me go from the top or from the bottom of the paper to the top and back and forth. And he's like, you're not allowed to do anything else. No mark making other than up and down for the first lesson. And I did that for like an hour. And he's like, you can start making curves if you want. <laughs> so, 
And by the end of it, I was making these huge drawings, like making like full body, like way bigger than me drawings. And that transformed me from being super hyper-conscious to having um, this very loose, fluid, full body art making experience. And that was pivotal. He was amazing. Um, Yeah. And then, and then understanding that he, he died shortly after Mm. um, he had HIV and which obviously progressed to AIDS. And, um, you know, within a year, he was gone and seeing the community, the community that abandoned him and the community that surrounded him during that time and seeing what our community can be was remarkable. So, um, so that was huge. And then the next big thing was, um, I was a studio manager for Liza Lou, who is a large scale installation artist. Um, she would bead whole environments Mm -hmm. and some conversations with her were really pivotal. And some of our business interactions, um, made me understand the responsibility of, of an artist and the people that they take on as interns. Um, not necessarily in the most positive way. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't sound like that was like a <laughs> positive necessarily. So you learn how, yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, I, I, I learned lots. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, but also she had some really interesting philosophies about like what you can and can't do. And um, she, you know, at the time she was 28 and was just, on fire you know Mm -hmm. like she was having museum shows like i think santa monica museum was showing one of her big pieces oh the piece that we were working on um and you know and then she had other shows lined up and she was just like plowing forward and and was a remarkable salesperson like not salesperson it sounds creepy but like marketer like she had so many cool things about her um and um, yeah, she, we had this one conversation where she's like, well, what do you want to do in life? And I said, I want to have a family and I want to be an artist. And, and that's pretty much it. That's all I want to do. And she's like, you're going to have to choose. Mm. You're either going to be mediocre at both. If you do both, or you have to choose be a good family member or be a good artist. And I have been an in defiance of that my whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and I, and I think that she made the right choice for her. I mean, her art's remarkable, but, um, but I, I definitely hear her voice in the back of my head when I, when I'm like, Oh, why did I wait so long? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And it's like, well, I did. I made some choices. Yeah. And, but yep. I can recover from that too yeah. <laughs> and have both. I feel that too. I mean, I understand. I get where she's coming from. And I, I think, I don't know if, I don't know. I, I guess I do agree at, to a lot of extent with that, just because with anything we do in life, if you really want to be really the best at it, you kind of have to devote 100% 
plus at that thing, you know? And so if you're dividing your time, whatever the, whatever way you're dividing your time, whether it be being a family person, like I have kids, I understand, and or being an artist or whatever you want to be, you're, you are sacrificing one of them. You just are, period, if you want to be the best. If you're right. okay with, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes, I don't know. That's a big, we could have a whole hour just on that topic alone. Cause you, something that really gave me hope is I read a, a monograph of um, Louise Bourgeois and, you know, she was making art in the thirties and nobody was like willing to show her, even though her husband was like this super famous big wig art historian. And, and it wasn't until her kids grew up and were out of the house it wasn't until she was in her fifties that she started showing majorly. And I am like that. Yeah. Is what I'm We're both that. there. Yeah. <laughs> High fives. High fives all around. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> and, and, you know, and she's like, she's, she's considered one of the most important artists in the world. You know, she's like a powerhouse and never took no for an answer. And she's just like, feisty little French woman. <laughs> so, so I, I do feel like you can have it all. I just don't think you can have it all at the same time. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that. Great philosophy with Brandy. Great. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Let's, um, let's wrap it up with one last question. And it's basically, um, what's the plan now? Like you're writing your thesis, you're doing that, you're getting you're, and getting ready for finishing off graduate school. Like, what are you, what's your hopes? What do you want? If you could pick kind of any path that your life and career goes from this moment on, what would it be? Um, it's twofold and they feed each other. Um, one, I do want to teach. I love teaching and it's really part of my art practice. So I definitely want to teach um, at the university level. Um, but I also want to start, um, I wanted to start tapping some of those big grants mm. and large scale projects that incorporate all the aesthetics that I've pulled back into my work and, um, and then all of the community building that I've done for many years and the concept and like, I just want to make it all these, this tight package and put it out into the world and. Um, yeah. And so I'm applying to several projects. Um, I've, I'm applying to a creative capital grant, um, to do this, um, this big video project that I want to do as, as projections throughout major cities. Um, and, um, I want to just have a more stable practice and that's what i'm working on this whole coming semester is where um i have four hours every single day that no matter what i do that four hours is for art making not research nothing else just making so um because i need that sort of schedule um yeah make work teach awesome. <laughs> help try and help make the world a better place <laughs> cool well let's uh Let's let's talk again at some point down the line in a year from now or whatever when things are going. I think I feel like there's a lot more we could get in on um, with your what you're doing and just stuff we brought up today that we've only touched on a little bit and see where where it culminates to, I guess, down the line. Um, I want to thank you for not only for being on this podcast, um, 
being here, but also just for being a friend and we've gotten to know each other. Probably you're probably one of the, uh, one of the cohort that I've gotten to know the most, you know, we're on the committee together. And then you had that, that kind of get together at the beginning that invited a bunch of the student, new students and whoever to come and that hang out. And that was really, I was really thankful for that to actually get a chance to meet some people I was going to be in class with. And so appreciate it. I appreciate you, Brandy. So thanks a lot. Thanks. I appreciate you too. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate yeah. it. You bet. Um, I'm going to hang up now, but don't go. I have a all right, you made it to the end. Thanks a lot for hanging out today. Uh, let's see, what do I have to say? Basically, we have Credit Real Time. It's Credit Real for the patreon.com slash the Zim supporters. Check it out. So like I said at the top, if you support Patreon, you support this podcast, We're on the Street podcast, the videos, youtube.com slash the Zim video, my music, you know, all the things, the Zim. So I really appreciate your support. If you want to see more of this action happen, Let's do it. Let's go. So uh, we got Rowan Chamberlain. We got Michael Knapp. We got Matthew Bacher are all my current Patreon supporters. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Awesome of you guys. Let's keep up going. Let's let's do it. And of course, there's like tiers that you can sign up for if you want to, you know, if you want something from me, um, just sign up for a tier level or you can just sign up for just straight up without any incentives. Um, either way is cool. Or even if there's something you know I do, that you want to be a part of, and you can be like, hey, well, Zim, this isn't one of your tiers, but I want this from you. If I sign up for 25 bucks a month, will you do this? And I'll be like, probably. <laughs> Won't take much, but let's go. So, uh, all right, that's how that works. What else has been going on? I don't know. I don't really know. I Normally, I can tend to just ramble on the end of these, but um, I just hope you're doing well. Um, yeah, just just I hope you're doing well. Stay safe. Um, tell your friends and family you love them. And um, I'll catch up with you again soon. And remember to be loving, kind, and patient. All right. Peace.